This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, everybody. I'm Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio. Sunday edition. Now, before we start, I want to um, thank everybody for listening or watching the podcast. Probably not watching because I haven't been releasing these because I've been lazy. But um, and when I say watching, I mean I have intended on releasing the podcast as a YouTube video on YouTube, but I couldn't. I haven't really figured out how exactly I want to do that perfectly yet. And also, it takes a long time to upload a video. And, like, you have to keep an eye on it. So, I just don't, I just haven't been able to, like, sit down and upload stuff. But thanks for listening to the last episode on, um, on Star Wars Visions. And actually, that brings me to what I want to talk about day on today's Sunday edition. And that's not so much Star Wars Visions as it is why someone might release a anthology or uh, an anthology film or series. And the there's a thing I've said a lot lately on this channel and that is even if you see something like as bad as say Phoenix Wright the, the Phoenix Wright anime that came out a couple years ago that was, like, so bad that, like, even people like me were like, oh, I don't, I don't think I could do this. Um, even something like that takes a huge amount of effort. But the bottom line is that animators, while they are storytellers and why, like, people create entertainment are storytellers, Oftentimes you come up with a story that doesn't warrant an entire film or an entire anim- or an entire animated series. So what you're left with is you're left with a good idea that doesn't stretch out all the way. Um, I was watching a video on YouTube about the death of YA dystopias. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I mean things like um, The Hunger Games, like um, Divergent. Um, stuff like that, like the, the young adult fiction writers that made like the dystopian nightmare stuff that became really popular in like the early aughts, um, aka the Hunger Games and shit. But um, or even The Giver, which is a book that I hate because I had to read it for school, but. The thing that they said, the thing that they said about um, the thing that the YouTuber said about the Hunger Game is by the end of the movie franchise, they were splitting what could, what should have been one movie into two because money, and they didn't really, there wasn't enough there. And I saw the movie in the theaters, um, and she was right, there wasn't enough there. Although 
Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman died in the middle of that whole scenario. That was not great for them. But the long and short of it is that sometimes you just, there's not a whole lot of meat on the bone to produce a thing. But the idea is still good. Um, there's a Matt Damon movie, I forget what it's called, but basically it's um, about like, it's a, it's a sci-fi thriller movie and it's about like these guys, I think it's called the Adjustment Bureau or something. And these guys have these little moleskin notebooks that tell them everything that a person will ever do. And their, jo and their job is if somebody like steps out of line to like get them back in line. And the cool hook is they all wear these like little fancy hats that let them open up doors into completely other places. Like they open up a door from and step and step like into the Empire State Building, but when they step out of the on the other side of that door, they're um, on Liberty Island, kind of thing. And it's a really effective, like small film. It's really fun, but it doesn't it doesn't exist anything out of maybe the I want to say like maybe. 90 minute runtime like it doesn't it, once you start to expand out it doesn't expand out very well and lots of films have the opposite and lots of films and projects have the opposite issue is that they cut a lot of things out in order to cram things in order to make of what the, the producer of the film believes to be an effective film um you can see this in things like uh, the movie that's actually based on comic Jumper. Jumper, I, from what I understand, cut a lot out just so they could take that comic's worth of story and put it into a film they felt like makes sense. That movie did not do very well, partially because of how much it cut out and how kind of like over Hollywoodized it was. I mean, it's, I, I find it fun only because it's a cool superpower set of just being able to teleport kind of wherever. Um, but the long and short of it is, is that as animators, oftentimes your job, as not even animators, as, and this is a greater thing about creative people, it, when you make a choice to be a creative for money, it's different than making a choice to, to be creative just for yourself. But when you make a choice to be creative for money, you are ta you're making a choice to tailor your creativity, your animation skills, your drawing skills, your whatever, to what a market wants and what a market needs. So you look at somebody like, um, he did, let's, let's take a video game. Let's take a video game auteur of sorts. Let's take Hideo Kojima. Hideo Kojima may seem like a crazy, off-the-wall, insane person, but the bottom line is, is that he, um, he, he says what he wants to say in the bounds of what will be sellable, what, what people will buy, you know, if he made a magical girl show instead of a Metal Gear-esque thing, 
it would come off very odd. Could he probably make a magical girl show and like sell the shit out of it? Maybe, probably. I think his fan base would be there for that. But that's not what people are going to hire him for. They're going to hire him for the like solid snake metal gear esque thing or and that's a conscious thing that every creative who's ever worked in the creative industries always understands. I understood it when I was a graphic designer, art director, creative director for hire in New York City. I knew why I was being hired. I knew that people hired me because of all the things I did in fashion and lifestyle. But the problem there is, is that what happens when you don't have, when you as a creative team, when you as a studio of people in animation don't have the next rock to jump to, but you still want to produce something. Um, That oftentimes ends in doing, you know, hyper-commercial work, like stuff for, um, like commercials for Disneyland or commercials in general, or um, sometimes the studio dissolves. Many times the studio takes any job you can kind of find. Um, Jeff Sue uh, from um, Jeff Sue from um, Mother's Basement recently covered a uh, rash of anime made for um, a, a Japanese cult religion called Happy Science. And you watch these things, and at once, if you're an anime, if you're like a, just a general anime fan, you're like, why would people make these things? Why would you ever do this? But if you are creative at any point in your life, you're like, no, that that paycheck must have been good. That like, Toei did this for the paycheck. Toei did this because like, yo, the in-betweeners need to eat. They haven't eaten in a while. And like, that's in a way that like, animate animators don't get paid very well. They just don't. They, they don't get, they certainly don't get paid what they're worth in terms of working in an anime studio. But there's also, like, keeping the lights on and, like, paying paying the electricity bill and all of that stuff. And also paying your own bonus or salary if, it, you're, if you're at the top end of it. And does that equation suck? Yes. But also, you need to keep the lights on so people still have jobs so you can keep producing the next thing. And especially if you're a um, studio like, say, Kill Annie that has a different um, incentive structure than a normal anime studio. One of the reasons why it was so tragic when the fire happened was they make an effort to pay their animators a living wage. They make an effort to only produce original work so they can so they can continue to own that stuff and make a shop and, and sell that stuff directly to a consumer instead of just taking license deals. And they, they go after, they do things like go after um, manga like Miss Kobayashi directly instead of like being part of a massive production committee all the time. But the, you don't always have, the, you don't always have 
those, those things aren't always there to go after, and you don't always win those deals. So, um, Studio Ponoff, when they, after they released, um, after, well, I forget, after they released that, uh, that witch movie, which didn't do great, they didn't immediately have another one in the can, but because they were a new studio, because they wanted to put something out fairly quickly, they ended up putting out Modest Heroes, which of those of the two movies they've released, Modest Heroes is actually better of the two because it's more interesting, it's more buried, it's a it's a um it's a grouping of short stories about like heroic things that people do. Everything from like an invisible guy to a crab kid to everything under the sun. And these compilation films, A, they allow you to say, okay, I don't, we don't have a huge story in the tank. We do not have a feature-length story in the tank. But we have, say, six or seven 20-minute short stories we want to tell. One of the best things about... Um, Pixar was always that they, and you can go find mo most of them, not forget all of them. You can't find my favorite one, which is Paper Man. Um, you can go find most of them on um, pick on Disney Plus at this point, but Pixar produced little shorts at the beginning of every movie. And A, it got you to like it got you in the theater early, so like you would end up seeing a couple, at least a couple of previews. That was a plus. In the same way that the um, end credit scenes at the end of like most Marvel movie, most Marvel, um, most Marvel movies, and the end of most um, of all the Fast and Furious movies now gets you to watch the end credits, which is like a very specific, no, you sit here, you respect the people who made your favorite movie, you dumbass, thing but done by, like, the producers and stuff. But the those little shorts, some of them were great, some of them were terrible, but they all, like, invoked these feelings, and they were all unique. And, like, some of them had little, like, side things of, being related to the outside world. Like, I remember there's a thing, there's one of them I think called Dumpling that is very much in the era of everyone's trying to appeal to China right now. So it's a, it's a story about a Chinese family. And it's, it, it's very much like, oh, I'm sitting at, in the same way I just sat in, you know, Apple's 13 minute presentation of this is the iPhone we're going to try and sell in China. This is this is the Pixar short they made specifically for a Chinese audience, which is fine, and, but also it's heartwarming and cute and meaningful, and it's an opportunity for the animators to like come up with a small story, something that has less pressure for it to succeed because it's just a small, maybe couple minute animation which is still a big deal it's still a lot to produce 
but it's not like a 90 minute or two hour thing. And so it can have less pressure on it to be this big thing. It can just get straight to the point, be in and out in a couple minutes and you, you, you feel better. It makes you feel better. And the other thing about um, anthology, anthology films and series is that it allows it allows for the kind of flourish of animation and the kind of like wild creativity that doesn't happen that doesn't happen as often in a feature length thing. So, um, in or, or a animated series. If you look at animated series, oftentimes people talk about sakura. Well, for a compilation, you can have whole pieces of the compilation. You can have like a whole episode that is just a sakura episode. You see that in Star Wars Vision. Some of those things, all those little pieces are legends of the industry in Japanese animation being like, okay, I'm only going to get this once. Like when you watch it in Maishi's um, short, The Twins, it's very much like, okay, Trigger's, Trigger's only going to get this. Like This is the first one they gave us. This is the second, I think it's like the second or third short. No, it's the second short in the compilation. But, and I, I can totally imagine they hadn't been given the second short that they did, which was the, um, which was the elder, which I think was like, like number six or something. Um, but they were like, we might only get one shot of this. We need to somebody, somebody wake up a Mikey, tell him he's he's got to do a premiere to a Star Wars thing, and that's what he did, and he went for it. And the whole thing is like this beautiful 15 minutes of throw it all at the wall and let go. And that doesn't happen often in, say, a feature-length animated feature or a feature-length animated movie or a full-length animated series. And the primary reason for that is budget. And that's the other thing you can do is if you want to make an anthology movie, um, actually, if you want to watch an anthology movie that you might not have yet, I talked about this a while ago in the podcast, but um, the anthology movie called Robot Carnival, and the only, the only rule was it all got to be about robots. <laughs> like, just robots all the way down. We don't care what it is. It just has to involve a robot. And they gave it to all these different directors. And so what they ended up doing is they ended up, and this is true of a lot of anthology movies and series like Star Wars Vision, it's a pull from all these different people who put all this different amount of money into all this stuff. And the directors do it because they get, when you say, when you look at somebody and you're like, so let's use Star Wars Visions as an example because it's the best it's the best current example. It was very clearly like 
and there were lots of through lines for all of the um, for all of the shorts. Main, the biggest through line was every short involved lightsabers, which was actually kind of kind of incredible. But the <clears throat> long and short of it is, is most likely what they were given was okay. We're giving you official access to the Star Wars universe, to the Star Wars IP. We don't care what you do in that IP, other than like we're Disney, we're not going to put a sex scene on on Disney Plus. It's just not going to happen. Sorry, but other than that, go for it. And when you give when you give someone who has been creating anything from Akira to Kill a Kill to Pokemon, carte blanche like that, you give them the opportunity to, like, crack their knuckles, stretch their, stretch their limbs, and really show what they can do in a way that, even as a accomplished animator in the industry, you don't get to do often because... Oftentimes, animator, animation is such a team sport that <clears throat> it, even the like visionary like directors and stuff <clears throat> don't get to do something without much help. Um, Makoto Shinkai, one of the unique things was is for a while is that he used to just, like, it was like him and, like, three other people, including his wife. Like, at Makoto Shinkai's early work, like, Voices of a Distant Star, five centimeters per second, part of the reason they were all so similar is because he was the only one making them. And the hilarious joke of your name is that he um, really only changed one thing, he gave those plot. He gave those plot lines happy endings. That's what he did to like make all the money in the world. And but even somebody like say um, Hayao Miyazaki, who is like venerated at this point as one of the great directors, not even great anime directors, his movies don't get produced without a team behind him and working with him to animate to animate, say, Princess Mononoke, say My Neighbor Totoro, say um Howl's Moving Castle. And he knows that. You, you look at him doing animation checks on things, and yes, he'll be like, This you need to redraw this or like this could be adjusted a little. But he clearly respects kind of everybody except for um, Hideki Anno. <laughs> he, he calls Hideki Anno in basically to fucking torture him <laughs> um, on the Wind Rises, which is really funny. Um, but, so, it's a unique opportunity for individual animators to do a thing. An individual director who maybe have moved away from animation, from actually animating everything themselves to like roll up their sleeves and show what they can do. 
and that's part of the reason why you that's one part of the reason why you produce a um anthology you would produce an anthology series or a film the other part of the reason is just a budget because you can spend you can spend more on less which means you have a higher quality end product of the animation it's better and also you can you can focus on like getting a small like very small scale story that has more emotional weight than it probably would if you had to stretch it out like and you see that all the time in Star Wars Vision the I would love I would love a more drawn out version of the village bride like a more like a 15 episode stretch of the village of the village bride how you got to that whole thing but you don't need it part of the reason why it is so good is it is so small and ephemeral and slightly delicate um the probably the lone exception to that in starwood visions and jeff mentioned this in his Star Wars Visions episode is simply because of the way that Kenji Kamiyama thinks as a director. He made the first episode of a show in that in the short The Ninth Jedi. That's the first episode of a whole damn thing. And it would make sense, they probably won't do it, but it would make sense for Disney to like buy the rights to that show and have him direct it and just make like a Star Wars full length anime out of that thing. He has it. It's there. He has it. But does that need to happen? No. And are all of the shorts like that? Absolutely not. Tantooine, like the the Tatooine Groove one, cute, fun, fluff. Probably, probably not the best. It's probably the least one of quality in the entire thing. But it's not there for long, and and it's fun for why it is there. It feels like a thing you watch on um, JetX Kids in the morning, right after Oban Star Racers. Just <laughs> one of the nerdiest things I've said in a while. Um, but on that note, I just. I had the thought about like why you would produce a anthology and I wanted to share it because I think that like when we encounter when anime fans encounter anthologies they're always fun but they're always a little confusing like um oh and actually this is where I'll leave it the last anthology I want to talk about is um the animatrix the Animatrix was kind of a necessary, really, really quick expanding of the world of the Matrix to like fill in some gaps, depict some things that hadn't been depicted visually, visually. And also, the Wachowskis got to make their anime finally. <laughs> uh, they kept doing it until like Jupiter Ascending and they like went completely off the wall. But and made a movie all about the space DMV. But that was probably the nearest cousin to it. 
to probably not. I'm probably missing a bunch, but that's one of the nearest relatives to something like Star Wars Visions because it is they went to a bunch of animation studios and they said, make a thing about the Matrix. We don't care what. Or like and those and the studios got to pick what they wanted to make. And so you end up with the um you end up with something that explains a lot about what the matrix is in a way that just a voice a throwaway voice line doesn't have the same quality. And actually what I want to say at the end here is if you look at something like Paranoia Agent, Paranoia Agent is a cohesive series, but is made with almost a anthology-like um, mentality, and it benefits from it. And you look at something, you look at other shows like Dot Hack Liminality, that feels almost like an anthology, but it's not. So you can use those same techniques to tell more cohesive and more interesting but more fragmented and wider scope stories than they would if it was just following one character or one perspective. So I hope this kind of fills in the gap as to why a anything would anyone would produce willingly an anthology. On that note, um I have been Alan. You've been this has been Lushbox Radio Sunday edition. And I will see you and talk to you on Thursday.